Welcome to Equipping the Persecuted Radio. Equipping the Persecuted Radio is sponsored by Equipping the Persecuted. Now, Equipping the Persecuted is a true boots-on-the-ground ministry in Nigeria. They, of course, give aid to those who have been persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, there are many, of course, who have lost their life over in Nigeria for the preaching of the gospel. In fact, recently here, Equipping the Persecuted just secured enough funds to go into complete and finish the orphanage that is for children whose parents have been brutally martyred for Jesus Christ. This is an incredible ministry that is just doing incredible things to go and to love the household of faith and to do good to the household of faith probably more than than any other ministry I can think of. And so you should go in to check them out, and you should go and support them at equippingthepersecuted.org. Once again, that's equippingthepersecuted.org. I'm Pastor Sam, and in today's show, we're going to see a a really, really bad trend that's happening on biblical worldview and where pastors rank with a biblical worldview in America. And we're also going to be going and looking at what does Jesus have to say to a church that really is embodied by what is happening in America today. But first, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. Please email us at equippingthepersecuted at gmail.com. And we want to hear from you. We want to hear what do you have to say about the biblical worldview of pastors today. Maybe you've got a story of a pastor who doesn't have a biblical worldview. We want to hear about that. Or maybe, maybe you disagree with this. Maybe you say, no, I just don't believe this at all. We want to hear from that too. You'd be wrong, but we would still love to hear from you. And, and so you can email us at equippingthepersecuted at gmail.com. Let's go. That's equippingthepersecuted at gmail.com. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. And also, you can go and, of course, find, perhaps you're listening to this on the radio. We're, we're in seven different, different markets across the United States. But, of course, you can also find us on, on Apple uh, Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast, whatever you want to listen to, you can find us there. I don't know why you wouldn't listen to it on Apple Podcasts, but you know some people have some different flavors there. Uh, but like I said, today we're going to be talking about this whole idea of biblical worldview, specifically with pastors. And Barna Research just recently put out a study of, I think it was a thousand pastors, and they found out that overall, uh, all Christian pastors, they only have a 37% of them have a biblical worldview. So roughly one-third has a biblical worldview, a little bit more than that, but roughly one-third of pastors have a biblical worldview. Now, that is absolutely terrifying when you think about that. Why in the world would somebody be a pastor and not have a biblical worldview? I mean, that just doesn't even make sense to me, how you could go and be a pastor. But but I want to give you the breakdowns because they give these, these interesting breakdowns here. And of course, this is with all pastors that they surveyed. But with senior pastor or the lead pastor, it, it is a little bit better than that. It's about 41%. 41% of senior pastors or lead pastors. That's a little bit better. In fact, it's the best number that's on this list. But you still think about that. That's only 40%, 41% of pastors, of senior pastors, who actually have a biblical worldview. Then we get into the associate or assistant pastors, that's 28%. And then once you get down to teaching pastor, it's only 13% 
perhaps what's really scary is the children's slash youth pastor is only 12% and the executive pastor is 4%. Now, why I said that's really scary, children and youth pastor, is that it seems like a lot of Christians kind of have this philosophy. We're going to go and send our children to a, a really satanic indoctrinational center, also known as a public school. And then as they send them to this satanic indoctrinational center— uh, for eight hours a day, five days a week, so, you know, 40 hours a week, essentially, a full-time job getting indoctrinated uh, with a satanic worldview. Then they go and they say, we're going to counteract that by going and sending them to youth group. Well, the problem is, is that 88% of youth pastors also have been indoctrinated uh, and they have a satanic or a non-Christian worldview. I really believe that you either got a worldview from God, a biblical worldview, or you got a worldview from Satan. There's really not much in between. Of course, some people like to go and say, in fact, even the study kind of goes and says they have a mixed worldview, but the reality of it is, is either you believe what the Bible says or you don't believe what the Bible says. There's really not too much in between that. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to agree on doctrine, but when we go and I break down what this means here, the criteria that they gave from biblical worldview, I think you'll understand why I'm saying this. But but, but a lot of families just go and say, you know what, we're going to send our children. This will counteract it. We're going to send them to youth group. They're going to go, and uh, when they go to youth group, what ends up happening? Well, they play a game for 45 minutes, and they go and they eat a snack for 15 minutes, and they go and they sing, you know, fluffy songs with no doctrine for 15 minutes, and then they hear a 15-minute pep talk uh, that's really more informed by uh, sociologists and psychologists than it is uh, from the Bible, because this is ultimately where people have gone and they've uh, replaced their their worldview, their biblical worldview, with sociology and psychology. See, back in the uh, the the late 1800s, early 1900s, Christianity was attacked, but it was attacked from the realm of hard sciences. So it was attacked uh, with through the idea of like Darwinianism and things like this, or Darwinism. And things like that. And the the, the problem is uh, with that is that they didn't destroy it. It created the modernist versus fundamentalist movement. This is something I touch on quite often, uh, and it's because it's it's really an important time in modern history. But today we're we're in a different battle. It's it's not so much that we're getting attacked so much from the idea of Darwinism and evolution, although that's part of it. We're really getting attacked from soft sciences, from psychology and sociology, as we've really moved into a uh, postmodern-esque culture. It's not truly a postmodern culture, but it's a culture that embraces postmodern ideals. And so the problem with all of this is that it, we end up going and leaving ultimate or absolute truth which that's what the Bible is, is that it is an absolute truth there. Uh, Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth, is what Jesus says, what he prays. But we go and we see this, the abandoned truth, which also the church is to be the pillar and ground of truth, and Jesus himself says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So this is an important, really important topic. They go and they abandon truth and they attack what does the Bible say or what does the Bible mean, that idea and understanding? And they try to bring in psychology and sociology. And this is where things like critical race theory has come into through revolution, or revolution uh, resolution number nine in the Southern Baptist Convention and different things like that, where critical race theory is now being used. And you've got uh, guys like Mark Vrogop over in Indianapolis uh, or 
uh, or, or Indiana anyway, who's going in, in, in preaching that you need to lament from your whiteness and, and different things like that. And it's, it's ridiculous stuff. Why would we need to lament or repent from uh, the skin color that we have that God gave us? I mean, that's just not understanding. Do, do we forget that we're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God? I, I think a lot of times people did, but but the problem is, is that most pastors, as I said, only 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview. Now, now, what does it mean? What do they mean here in this Barna Research Group to have a biblical worldview? This is, this is what they say. This is what, what their criteria was based upon. And only 37% of pastors out of uh, the, the pool of 1,000 that they studied have this. For the purpose of this survey, they say, a biblical worldview was defined as, are you ready for this? Believing that absolute moral truth exists. Believing that the Bible is totally accurate in all of its principles it teaches. That Satan is considered to be a real being or a force, not merely symbolic. A person cannot earn their way to heaven by trying to be good or to do good works. And Lastly, or I, oh, sorry, there's two more here. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on this earth, and God is the all-knowing and all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. In the research, anyone who held all of those beliefs was said to have a biblical worldview. Now, these are really just basic, basic core tenets of Christianity. In fact, if you don't hold to these things, it's really doubtful if we can say that you're a Christian. I mean, we'll give you a few minutes after you've uh, accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, but these are really, really basic core ideas. I'm going to go and break down these ideas, but we first have to take a quick break. So hang with us. We'll be right back. There is a crisis happening in Nigeria. Christians are being murdered and driven from their homes at the hands of Muslim terrorists. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Equipping the Persecuted is a mission organization that helps persecuted Christians in Nigeria by sending aid directly to persecuted Christians in need. When a Christian village is attacked, Equipping the Persecuted is there to respond with food, medical aid, and materials to rebuild their churches and communities. Equipping the Persecuted has boots on the ground ready to respond to an emergency. Within 48 hours of an attack, our team is there to help those in need. Prayerfully consider a monthly donation to help impact and save the lives of persecuted Christians. Equipping the Persecuted doesn't just raise awareness about persecution or just talk about it. They take action. Visit EquippingThePersecuted.org and donate today. God's Word tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Truly, sin is a mark of America today. Every second, 28,000 people are watching pornography. Since 1973, over 65 million babies have been slaughtered on the altar of convenience through abortion, and 70% of millennials are likely to vote for a socialist. Sin truly abounds and is a reproach to our nation. But how do we get back on track and be exalted by God once again? Hi, I'm Pastor Sam Jones, and I've written a new book that traces the steps of America's fall and gives us a road to redemption. It's called 
Five Steps to Kill a Nation, and How to Stop the Bleeding. You can get a copy of the book at theshininglightministries.com. Welcome back to Equipping the Persecuted Radio. I'm your host, Pastor Sam. And today, we've really been looking at this idea that only 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview. Now, this biblical worldview, it was defined, once again here, I'm just going to give you the cliff notes, but it was defined, first of all, that, uh, that there is absolute moral truth, that the Bible is totally accurate in the principles it teaches, Satan is considered to be a real being or a force and not merely symbolic. A person can't earn their way to heaven. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on the earth. And finally, God is all-knowing and all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. That's the criteria. And only 37%, that's like one-third, a little bit more than one-third, of pastors could meet this basic principle and criteria. Now, this is insane to me because let's just stop and think about it here. The first one here is that absolute moral truth exists. Well, if absolute moral truth doesn't exist, then I'm curious what you need to be saved from because then it's just about perspective. It's not absolute. It's not fixed. There is no standard. So, Two-thirds of pastors, now, of course, I'm not saying that two-thirds of pastors believe this, but but within this two-thirds, some of them undoubtedly didn't believe that there is absolute moral truth. I mean, that's that's just a ridiculous thing to go and to look at. What are you being saved from? What's the point of being a Christian? The Bible defines sin as transgression against the law of God. What's that law of God? What's it talking about here? That's an absolute moral truth. It says here that Jesus Christ died, why? For our sin. That's why Jesus died. For our transgression against the absolute moral truth or moral law. Because we transgressed it. That's why Jesus died. Of course, then he was buried and he rose again on the third day. And whosoever believes in him shall be saved. That's the gospel. We love that. But two-thirds of American pastors may not believe that. And, and I mean, you can't really believe the gospel if you don't believe in absolute moral truth. It's the reality of it. The next one here is an interesting one. It says, the Bible is totally accurate in all of its principles it teaches. This isn't even a strong statement. This isn't talking about sufficiency of Scripture or the inerrancy of Scripture. It's simply stating that, like, the principles are true. It's just basically true. It's not even saying that it's accurate, that it's not erroneous. It's just, it's just basically true in its principles. I mean, don't you believe in the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you'd have done unto you, you know, you know, that, that kind of a thing. Don't you just believe in that? I mean, that's all, yeah, wow, this is good. It's good not to kill people, you know, like that's one of the criteria that two thirds of pastors in America today are saying, I, I mean, you know, they might not be believing in this, just the principles. This wasn't even a strong statement on inerrancy. I mean, these aren't stringent things. This is a, a loose, a loose way to define biblical worldview. When I heard that this was a biblical worldview that I was talking about, I, I assumed that it was going to be like 
you know, getting into the nitty gritty details of everything. And I was like, okay, they're, they're going to be kind of stringent and things like that. No, this is loose. This is terrifying that pastors can't pass this, that two-thirds of pastors nearly can't pass this. The next one is, is that Satan is to be considered a real being or a force, not merely symbolic. So it's, it's not even talking about here that Satan is being a real person. So taking a literal view of the Bible, which is, is what I take, Satan's real. You've got a biblical worldview. He's, he's, he's a real person. He was created by God. What the Bible says it means and what it means it says. But no. Two-thirds of pastors potentially don't even believe. I mean, you'd get a pass if you believe that Satan was just a, the force of evil, which isn't what the Bible teaches. It says that he's personified. He's a person. He's the father of lies. He's the great deceiver. He's the accuser of the brethren. But no, you'd have to believe that it's just symbolic. So now the Bible is just like a mythical book much like in the Odyssey or the Iliad, things like that. That's, I mean, that's what like two-thirds of pastors are potentially believing. It's insane. Of course, the next one is very important. A person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to do good uh, or, or be good, by being good or doing good works. Of course, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you save through faith, but not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not of works that we're saved. It's not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Either you're wholly dependent on Jesus Christ for your salvation or you're not. You can't be a Christian if you're relying on Jesus and your good works. If you're just relying on, uh, on your good works or whatever it might be, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That way is narrow. It is through Jesus Christ. Of course, the next one is, is that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on the earth. Well, if you don't believe that, then Jesus Christ couldn't have saved you, and he's not God. Potentially, two-thirds of pastors aren't believing this. We don't know which one of these things that they're not believing, but all of them are extremely problematic. Of course, the last one is uh, that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who rules the universe today. So he's God. I mean, that's, that's basically what it's saying. How scary is it if a pastor doesn't believe that? He's saying, oh, yeah, I'm a pastor, and I don't believe in God. I mean, it would be an atheist pastor, and this is supposed to be you know, looking at Christian pastors here. But nearly two-thirds, two-thirds of American pastors today do not believe in one of these tenets. They don't have a biblical worldview our church is in great danger, Christian, and you need to be aware of this. You need to be aware of what Jesus tells us to do about this, and of course, we need to obey him, but you need to stick with me because we're going to go in our third segment here today. We're going to go and look at what does Jesus tell us to do about this kind of a problem. Hang with us. We'll be right back after a quick break.
There is a crisis happening in Nigeria. Christians are being murdered and driven from their homes at the hands of Muslim terrorists. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Equipping the Persecuted is a mission organization that helps persecuted Christians in Nigeria by sending aid directly to persecuted Christians in need. When a Christian village is attacked, Equipping the Persecuted is there to respond with food, medical aid, and materials to rebuild their churches and communities. Equipping the Persecuted has boots on the ground ready to respond to an emergency. Within 48 hours of an attack, our team is there to help those in need. Prayerfully consider a monthly donation to help impact and save the lives of persecuted Christians. Equipping the Persecuted doesn't just raise awareness about persecution or just talk about it. They take action. Visit EquippingThePersecuted.org and donate today. God's Word tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Truly, sin is a mark of America today. Every second, 28,000 people are watching pornography. Since 1973, over 65 million babies have been slaughtered on the altar of convenience through abortion, and 70% of millennials are likely to vote for a socialist. Sin truly abounds and is a reproach to our nation. But how do we get back on track and be exalted by God once again? Hi, I'm Pastor Sam Jones, and I've written a new book that traces the steps of America's fall and gives us a road to redemption. It's called Five Steps to Kill a Nation and How to Stop the Bleeding. You can get a copy of the book at theshininglightministries.com. Welcome back to Equipping the Persecuted Radio. We want to hear from you. What do you think about this crisis of the pastors and not having a biblical worldview? By the way, it's even worse with the people in the pews. I don't have those statistics right in front of me, but I know it was worse than that 37%. And so that is a very terrifying thing when you stop and you think about that. But I want to know what does Jesus have to say about this? And what what this passage, or, or not what this passage, but what this study reminded me of is a specific passage of Scripture in Revelation chapter 3 uh, Jesus's message to the Laodicean church. And he said this in Revelation 3, verses 14 through 22, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, says the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. To him that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my right on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is Jesus' message to the Laodicean church, the lukewarm church. And I believe this is Jesus' message to us today. 
It's an incredibly important message. Now, I want us to understand a few things here. First of all, when it's talking about lukewarm, of course, it's giving this idea of water, this idea of temperature. A lot of people like to go and say you need to be a, a Christian who's either on fire for Jesus or one that's like ice cold so that God can get a hold of your heart. That's not what this is saying. See, the whole idea was that in Laodicea, it was a very affluent town. In fact, it was a town that was known for its economy, uh, specifically its banking economy, and specifically its black wool, and then also its medical advancements and having ISAV specifically. And so it was a very affluent, wealthy city. And one of the problems was, though, is that they didn't have water supply that came in. And so they went and they brought in water, and they brought in cold water from one place, hot water from another place, because the whole idea was, was that you want to go and after working for a long day, you want to go and get a nice drink of ice cold water, right? We all want that. And actually, I'm not a big fan of water, but I, I probably should be. And, and then on the other side, though, this one I can get behind for sure, is that you want to go and to take a nice, warm, hot bath or a hot shower. I don't understand this. People like to take cold baths or cold showers, but that's what they wanted. And so they channeled these two waters in. But the problem was, was by the time they got to Laodicea, the cold water was no longer cold. It was just lukewarm. It had warmed up. In the hot water, it was no longer hot from the springs. It was now lukewarm and it cooled down. And so it didn't particularly, either one didn't particularly taste good and either one was really satisfying when you went to go take a bath or a shower or bathe. It just wasn't that great in that sense. And so it was useless water as opposed to useful water. And so Jesus was going and telling them in their cultural context something that they would understand and understand well how displeasing that they were. They were a city that had everything. They, they, they didn't need anything. But the one thing that they really lacked in their city was, was good water. It was like, oh man, the one thing we're going to go and to complain about. And Jesus is going and saying, I'm complaining about you because you're not doing things right. In fact, he's saying it because he knows their works. They weren't doing what was right. They didn't have the right stuff. They did it wrong. In fact, he goes and he says, you say, I, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Isn't that the American church today? I mean, we, we have become rich. We, we become self-reliant. Everything is, is relied upon sociology and getting people to react in certain ways and the newest, coolest uh, version of the church growth model or whatever it might be. And we can go and get people and build mega churches and do all these cool things and everything like that. And, and of course, we've done it all basically without God without the Bible, without prayer, without getting on our knees and breaking down before God and, and crying out for revival. And so we've created this, this fakeness. And Jesus says to the Laodicean church, you think you got it all going on, but the reality of it is, is that you're poor, miserable, naked, and wretched. And that's what I believe he's saying to the American church at large too. We're actually poor, miserable, naked, and wretched, and so he tells us a few things. He gives us counsel. He gives us advice. And shouldn't we, we listen to the advice of Jesus Christ? I think we should always listen to the advice of Jesus Christ. What does he tell us here? He tells us three things. He says, one, to buy gold that's been refined by him from the fire. What does that mean? As opposed to going and looking at earthly riches, we should be going and focusing in on heavenly rewards 
We need to be going and, and doing what is right, no matter what the earthly cost is. Instead of just trying to go and to do the popular thing, we need to go and to do the godly thing, the right thing. The second thing is, is to get wool, white wool, as opposed to the black wool that they were known for in their economy. By the way, they're a banking economy too. These three things are, are, are really go hand in hand with the economy. Jesus is really making a point. But this black or this white wool that he's saying is, is really the, the robes of righteousness is what it's referring to. We need to go and to put on the robes of righteousness in our life. And the third thing is to anoint our eyes with eye salve. And what is this referring to? It's a healing of our eyes. Let's talk about healing our worldview. We need to go and to put the lens of the Bible on again. Today, like I said, only 37% of pastors in America have a biblical worldview in a very simple definition. They need to put this ISAV on. And how do they do that? Well, they do it by being zealous and repenting. You know, that's th those are two things we don't like to talk about today is to be zealous and to repent, to be excited about Jesus Christ, be a zealot, and to repent. But these are the things we need to do. We need to repent. We need to put on righteousness. We need to put on a biblical worldview. And we need to store up treasures in heaven. Thank you for listening to Equipping the Persecuted. I'm your host, Pastor Sam. Contact us. We want to hear from you at equippingthepersecuted at gmail.com. Remember, Equipping the Persecuted is sponsored by Equipping the Persecuted. Have a great day and keep standing for the truth. My eyes have seen the glory of the Great.